Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. In today's program, we're looking at what is happening at one of Australia's oldest oil and gas fields, Longford, 20 kilometres from Sale in South Gippsland, Victoria. After more than 50 years, the oil reserves are running out. And the way ExxonMobil subsidiary ESSO is dealing with workers' negotiations is raising eyebrows. We will follow that with a look at Coates' higher workers who are taking action around the country for better conditions at work. Many of these workers are isolated in small teams, but despite this, they can see the importance of solidarity in fighting Coates' owners who are continuing to demand a pay freeze and to slash conditions. But first, some union news. Workers at Thorn Lighting in Sydney successfully fended off the massive increase in the number of labour hire casuals on site, the AMWU Media Unit report September the 15th. The AMWU members took lightning action, strike action, during September, insisting that their EBA specify that labour hire casuals be paid site rates, plus a casual loading, rather than the base award rate the company was pushing for. What started as a one-day strike developed when the management refused to act, delivery trucks and couriers refused to cross into the plant, which helped to encourage management to come to the table. After five days on strike, the workers won all of their demands, including an 8% pay rise over three years. No grandfathering of conditions and crucial labour hire being paid at site rates. You might want to think twice before you buy McCain's frozen French fries or even bite into McDonald's French fries supplied by McCain's factory in Ballarat. Workers are taking staggered strike action over the company's inability to negotiate their new EBA. At the heart of the dispute is a move by McCain's to use cut price contracts contractors to replace jobs of McCain employees, a similar thrust to undermine paying conditions as at CUB, Alcoa in Western Australia and recent successful dispute at Thorn Lighting in Sydney. The latest tactic used by McCain's has been to fly offshore workers from New Zealand rather than talk to its workers. Angela McCartney, AMWU organiser, says McCain's are aiming to increase casuals and continues with the unreasonable refusal to honour its obligations to give paid leave as it tries to reduce staffing levels while increasing production. The dispute is continuing. We reported a couple of weeks ago on a demonstration outside the offices of NG, the owners of Hazelwood Power Station in the Latrobe Valley. Hazelwood has the dubious honour of being Australia's dirtiest coal-powered power station. Well, Green's Alan Sandal and Adam Bant have said that Hazelwood looks set to close by 2017. While we haven't yet heard confirmation from the owners of Hazelwood, they said an important board meeting is expected in the coming weeks that will seal the fate of Australia's dirtiest power station. The two Greens 
politicians thanked the hundreds of Greens volunteers, Environment Victoria, Friends of the Earth, Latrobe Valley locals and the community groups across the state of Victoria for making it happen. An important part of the campaign for the CUB sacked 55 workers, skilled workers who were sacked by Sab Miller, the owners of Carton United Brewery in Abbotsford in Melbourne, offering their jobs back for just 35% of their pay. An important part of that campaign is to have a barbecue without CUB on the grand final weekend. Whether you're an AFL fanatic or an NRL loyalist, the AMWU and the ETU members are asking you to support Aussie jobs and Aussie workers this grand final weekend. Support these workers by holding a barbecue this grand final weekend without any CUB drinks. Join thousands in telling Sab Miller, the multinational owner of Carlton and United Breweries, the makers of the Carlton Draft and VB, to give their, them their jobs back or proper pay. You can go to hashtag boycott CUB or hashtag CUB55 for updates. At the moment there's been 7,811 registrations to have barbecues without inviting CUB. You're on Stick Together with Annie McLaughlin, produced at 3CR Melbourne and distributed by the Community Radio Network. The flavour of the month in Australian workplaces is the push for cutting salaries, casualisation and the reduction of conditions. Well, down at Longford, the onshore receiving point for oil and gas output from Bass Strait, employee relations are experiencing a similar hiccup. As ExxonMobil, owner of ESSO, the multinational who runs the three gas plants and one crude oil stabilisation plant, 20 kilometres from Sale in South Gippsland, Victoria, wants to change the ground rules after over 50 years. I spoke to Victorian Secretary of the AWU, Ben Davis, for a view on what's going on. Well, we've been bargaining now with SO for more than two years to try and reach enterprise agreements for both onshore and offshore. To say that those negotiations have been frustrating is an understatement. And a couple of months ago, SO made application to terminate both those agreements, as they've done at AGL as well, the power um, station agreement. Our members took protected industrial action. Um, SO took us to the federal court claiming that part of it was unprotected. We, hand on heart, thought we were right as rain. Federal court disagreed. So they appealed, so did we. Full bench of the federal court agreed partly with SO's arguments, largely with ours. So... One activity we undertook was deemed to be unprotected for a period of time. SO are now seeking leave to appeal that to the High Court because they believe that taking unprotected action for a period of time invalidates all industrial action. It's it's this complicated sort of lawyer fest that we've got going on. We've been running a really successful Yachts for Lawyers program in the AWU. No lawyer should be left behind, um, spending a bomb (laughs) in legal fees. And SO have obviously been spending a lot more. And that's the issue with rich multinational companies is that they've got bottomless pockets when it comes to having legal fights. In the meantime, the negotiations really haven't gone too far and now they've applied to terminate the agreements and their intent to do that is basically to leverage and to pressure us and their workforces into settling, Uh, which we are are still trying to to do as we have been since the get-go. Our members... uh, 
on their rosters, their one week on, one week off offshore roster, and the number of um, staff levels and operating areas at the Longford and Long Island Point plants have been in place now for decades. And in order to um, encourage people to, to change that and to agree to change that, SA really needed to do a bit of a hearts and minds exercise with their workforce. They haven't done that. Yeah, but what they're doing is wanting them to go on four weeks on and four weeks off, right? No, no, they want to move them from one week on, one week off, offshore to two weeks on and two weeks off. Oh, right, okay. Um, And in doing so, they've said it won't actually save them a lot of money, but it'll save them a bit, which is hardly how you convince the workforce to embrace change. And onshore, they're trying to reduce from uh, 13 operating areas at Longford to 12, which we think means that they can't run the plant safely, just to put it simply and at Long Island Point from um, six operating areas to five with the same problem. Now, but, they, but then there was this stuff about them saying that, uh, uh, giving to the local newspaper that they were expecting to close the uh, offshore uh, operation down. Is that right? No, what they've done is they've, they've signalled to the stock exchange or announced to the stock exchange they're trying to sell their oil block. And right. their oil block is a number of platforms and all of the bits and bobs that go with that offshore, not all of them, but any that extract oil are on the, are now up for sale. That could take months, if not years, to play out, if at all. Uh, and the unpredictable nature of it is you might, as we saw at Shell in Geelong, so Shell in Geelong said they wanted to sell the refinery, they ended up selling the refinery and a whole stack of service stations. So what we don't know offshore and won't know until a sale is got to if it ever gets got to um, is is it just the platforms and everything associated with their oil block as we understand it to mean or will it all of a sudden include other assets as well so it's a very very uncertain time the fact is that the Bass Strait oil field as distinct from gas is a lot closer to the end of its life than the start Uh, they're getting less oil out of it now than they ever have before that's the nature of a finite resource running down and they're obviously trying to get out whilst that, is, whilst that asset is worth something. Whether or not there'll be a buyer, who knows? For all the part of it. And so, so let's get back to their modus operandi, the way they operate with the workers, where they don't talk. Yeah, well, they came out um, originally with an offer in the start of 2014 and basically said, this is all we're prepared to do, this is what we want. Massive agenda on that roster, massive agenda on the staff levels but also a massive agenda about change. So what they want to do basically is to have a more or less unfettered right after consultation, and we all know what that means or doesn't mean as the case may be, to change rosters, to change staff levels, to change the number of operating areas, to change anything and everything. And these are seven-day shift workers we're talking about, so they're not nine-to-five or even eight-to-four day workers. They do um, night shift, day shift, weekends, public holidays, the whole box and dice. And what they're seeking to do, I think, is upset the equilibrium that's always worked in that industry in Victoria um, in a pretty sort of blunt attempt to, to save money and to drive change unilaterally. They didn't really do the hearts and minds work with their workforce. Um, they haven't sort of convinced them of the need for change. And so they've now taken the big sledgehammer approach of attempting to terminate the agreements. Now, there's two two issues that have come up. One of them is this thing about them wanting to get workers to be vetted with police checks. What's your position on that? Look, a lot of employers require their employees to do undertake police checks. We know that. Um, whether or not it's 
And, and given the, the nature of the facilities, that's not unusual. What is unusual is how harsh they are being. To the workforce, if I, um, if I at the age of 20, got arrested for drunk and disorderly, are you still going to hold that against me when I'm 40? Really? And I think the approach they're taking is they're saying if you've had a clean sheet for the last few years, then you're OK. But if, if you haven't, um, then you are automatically excluded and all that prehistory comes in. And we're not talking about people who may have been convicted of armed robbery or a serious offence. <laughs> we're talking about people who might have been uh, ultimately convicted for not paying a parking ticket or a speeding fine at the lower end. Um, how do you rule people out for life because what they did when they were young and silly? If I could take back the things I did when I was young and silly, uh, I'd be a much happier person, but you can't, and it's there. And police records hang around forever. So what they're doing is trying to weed the garden and, and appear to be good guys at the same time. Well, I don't think they're attempting to be good guys. I don't think anyone would claim that they were ever that, including those that work for them or the communities within which they sit. Um, oh, but you know that thing about, oh, you know, you brought it upon yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and again, what, what someone does when they're 19 years old, you know, when you're 20, that's a big deal when you're 40 or 50, really? At which point can you leave that behind you and move on with your life? Because it is automatically ruling out a, gr- a cohort of people who may be terribly well-skilled, who may be completely appropriate for the job, who might be the most uh, qualified applicant who, because of what, what has happened in their dim, dark, ancient history or even in their more contemporary history, um, are ruled out. Now, if someone is convicted of, in recent times, of firearm offences or terrorism offences, I get that. I mean, it's a gas plant um, <laughs> or an oil block. Like, that is related back to, um, to, to the work that they're undertaking. But if someone's got an unpaid parking ticket at the lower end or um, a white-collar crime at the other end in more contemporary times, why are they then ruled out? Um, it should actually be based on skill. So it's very hot and heavy. Um, none of us are angels particularly people who work in that sort of industry. It's a bit like if you tried to do the same in the construction industry. You know, a lot of people who've got a clean sheet, fine, but there's a lot of people that don't. And how long... Uh, actually, it's, quite a, it's actually quite a high amount. Uh, you know, over uh, 60, closer to 70% of Australians have got some thing where they've nudged against the law. Yes, that's right. And, again, how long are they then excluded from from well-paid jobs as a result? That does seem a little harsh, just to, to put it politely. And the other one is this: uh, what's happened to the catering staff? Yeah, so Sodexo were uh, the offshore caterers for ESSO up until a few weeks ago. They had to re-tender, which is not unusual. Uh, they lost that tender to ESS. ESS are proposing to pay um, salaries that are $45,000 less per annum than the Sodexo employees they're displacing. And, again, all comfortably over-award because that's the nature of the industry in which, within which they work. The labour market rate of pay is over-award as it is in most of manufacturing and various other industries as well. And their agreement, which was voted on and signed by six people, I think, in Western Australia, not unlike what happened at CUB with program maintenance, although in their case I think it was only three, um, have a roster clause that says that they can work one of the following at the behest of the employer. Two weeks on and two weeks off three weeks on and three weeks off, or four weeks on and four weeks off. And in Bass Strait, it's always been one week on, one week off. And that's, that's just appalling. And ESS and SL both said, oh, no, it's all going to be two and two. Well, that's not what the agreement says. And they could change their mind, flick a switch, and all of a sudden these guys are out there for months at a time, um, four, four weeks on, four weeks off. 
the real takeaway for the employers in the industry and the contractors is that there is no loyalty. There's no brand loyalty to a long-serving incumbent contractor. It is simply done on the basis of dollars. Uh, and that's very unfortunate for them. But ESS rubs salt into the wound by telling the Sodexo employees before the end of their contract that they weren't going to offer them in any of them jobs in Bass Strait, despite the fact that under a previous contract some of them had worked for ESS before. Um, they t- made it quite clear in writing they will not employ any of them in that contract ongoing. So people who've been doing that work in that place for 20, 30, 40 years were told they weren't going to get a job no matter how good they were. And they were told that if they applied for other jobs around the country, they might get a look in. And when some of them did that, they were told there were no vacancies. So it's a, a really brutal way to treat a group of people who just want to earn a quid, who have been long-standing and loyal. There's never been any issues with their work performance, the quality of the food they produce or the cleaning that they do. Uh, and are told unilaterally, you are not working here anymore, and those coming in after you are going to be paid 27% less. Really setting the um, standard, aren't they? Yeah, thin end of the wedge in terms of um, the offshore oil and gas and resources industry. The industry have been quite clear that they see that with the West Australian mining boom coming off, that the conditions and pay rates in that industry, not unlike what Viva are currently doing in Geelong, to their uh, contractors and in-house employees, that the wage rates are too high, the conditions are too good, and that they quote-unquote need a reset. And what I don't understand about resets in industry is it always means that blue-collar workers are paid less. Never heard of a reset that said, yeah, we haven't paid you well enough, we're going to pay you more. It's always about cutting wages and conditions, it's never about improving them. Um, again, to people who've worked in some cases for decades, who've been quite loyal, who are very highly skilled... Um, just completely and utterly disrupting their lives through unemployment or through cutting their pay and conditions, and that's just unacceptable. Um, but apparently, according to the industry, the way of the world, and we're obviously doing what we can to push back on that, and that's a long-term campaign, not a short-term campaign. You are listening to Stick Together, Union News and Workers' Stories. Coats hire. You see them all over the place. It is a business which hires out machinery and operators to fill the gaps in infrastructure projects. It is a strong national company, but one, despite being in profit, wants to force its workers into a wage freeze and to slash conditions. The workers are fighting back. I spoke to Don Sutherland from AMWU for a breakdown of the dispute. The coach hire agreement, um, there are about a thousand workers, maybe a few less now, maybe 950 or 900 workers, who are classic blue collar workers. They're the, they're the workers who clean, uh, repair, uh, maintain uh, and install uh, the equipment that is hired. And that includes workers who uh, uh, load and drive that equipment to the various locations. So they are your classic blue-collar workers in a range of classifications, uh, including the highly skilled classifications associated with mechanical uh, mechanical fitting, uh, hydraulics, uh, pneumatics, electronics and so on. It's a national agreement and therefore uh, the Victorian membership of our union uh, and of uh, there's some uh, transport workers union people in Victoria as well, but the Victorian membership of our union are part of a national, this national agree, uh, agreement making process. All right, so what's been going on here then? Well, for the last, uh, the current agreement expired on uh, March 31st uh, this year, 
And starting several months, just before Christmas actually, uh, we started negotiations to try and reach an agreement by March the 31st of this year. That hasn't been possible. Uh, we have not been able to reach agreement with the company after about 10 or 11 bargaining sessions. And uh, the reason for that is because the company is determined to uh, take uh, take away very important uh, and hard-won uh, conditions as well as to cut wages and other uh, money entitled. Oh, well, that's amazing. And and part of it is that the uh, the difficulty too for workers, I guess, is that they're all working in isolation from each other. Is that right? Yes. Um, uh, it's much more difficult for the workers to... Uh, to be able to talk together, to work out their opinions about what's going on and also to make uh, coordinated um, advice uh, to go to their elected, uh, their appointed union officials like myself. So we have to have the best possible uh, communication structure in place that enables them to maximise the opportunities to be a united force. So they're not just falling into line with the company, are they? They've actually pushed back. Exactly, exactly. Despite the the effects of isolation and at times a very hostile middle and upper management that gets in their face regularly, the workers uh, have been very determined in resisting uh, this take, take, take mentality of the company. So, for example... Um, back in June, uh, the company attempted to get a, a, a ballot happening, well, it did succeed in getting a ballot happening on its proposed agreement, not endorsed by the union workplace delegates or union officials, but the company's own agreement. They were using the Fair Work Act that gives them the capacity to put the type of agreement they want out for a ballot of the entire workforce, not just union members, of the entire workforce. And if they get a simple majority, then that ballot, then uh, that agreement, that, uh, well, as it would have turned out, terrible agreement would have become uh, available to be approved by the Fair Work Commission. Well, the workers, despite their isolation, communicated very strongly with each other using new or relatively new and old-fashioned techniques and uh, in a very, very big result, uh, in a very, very big ballot, uh, 26%, I think it was, who voted in favour uh, of the company's proposal and the rest, 74%, voted against it. It was a resounding victory for the workers in the circumstances that they were in. So what were the techniques that they used to communicate? What, what are you talking about? Did they use online methods and uh, going to the pub, <laughs> whatever? What um, all, all, of the, all of the above. They, they use a range of online communications. We have a private um, members, members and supporters only Facebook page called Orange Unity. It's yep. exactly uh, the same colour as uh, you'll see on the Coast Fire livery when you see their uh, depots around, um, around the suburbs. Yeah, so they use, they, they're using um, uh, that Facebook page for regular updates so as many people as know as possible. And then there's good old-fashioned getting on the phone or talking face-to-face -face with each other over coffee or a beer or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, well, that's great. And uh, you were saying that uh, 
uh, in this kind of negotiation that Coates is, has got a strong reliance on these workers in um, areas of high need. So, for example, in Victoria at the moment, there's a lot of uh, work going on, isn't there, for Coates? Yeah, there's been an, up, uh, an uptick in work uh, on infrastructure projects um, uh, in both Victoria and New South Wales. And that means there is Coates Hire equipment that is being hired into those projects. Uh, and uh, the, it, is, it is feasible if the ballot for protected action goes well that one of the uh, things that will be talked about is um, bans on particular projects uh, in both, I think, uh, especially in Victoria and New South Wales. There'll be discussion about bans on particular ways of getting equipment to and from construction sites and uh, infrastructure projects. All that sort of discussion will go on as legally protected industrial action. Well, I think the most important thing is that this whole uh, dispute is coming about because Coates Hire is determined for its own reasons to... Uh, break apart a union uh, negotiated agreement and uh, in part it's driven ideologically um, and we, we're, able to, we're very comfortable with the financial position of the companies. Of course, they have gone backwards in Western Australia and Queensland, but uh, they're on a recovery mode that they are very proud of in uh, New South Wales and Victoria that more than matches what they have lost in WA and Queensland. So we believe that uh, there's no reason why there should be a concession-based agreement. But in the end, the decisions about these things are going to be made by members. Uh, and whether we like it or not, the fair way, when it comes down to a ballot on any agreement, whether it's one that we would want to recommend or whether it's another dodgy agreement from the company by the broader workforce, uh, but this year, the three unions are united in saying that we are not going to give up what the workers have fought to establish over the last 15 to 20 years. Good. What are the three unions? So there's the AMWU, the Transport yeah, so the Workers? the AMWU is the, biggest, uh, is the biggest union. Yeah. And then also uh, there is the Electrical Trades Union and yep. the Transport Workers Union. Right. Good. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad to get that straight. All right. Yeah, good. Thanks very much and keep us posted. That's it for Stick Together. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Ben Davis and Don Sutherland for talking to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.